the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, note this. This is the first time in the Gospel of John that Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah. And where does he do it? At Shechem. The first piece of property that the Israelites owned in the Promised Land. That's the first place he declares he's the Messiah. And he doesn't declare he's the Messiah to a religious leader. You know, in the previous chapter, John chapter 3, he has that famous conversation with Nicodemus. He doesn't tell Nicodemus he's the Messiah. Finally, that was a long time coming. Maybe you've felt this way before. Jacob settled in Shechem, which was part of the promised land that God told him he'd have. This is the same place that Jesus meets a woman at a well, Jacob's well to be precise. The Israelites' promise had been fulfilled. They returned safely to this area. Not only that, but out of Shechem came Jesus' first proclamation of who he is. Pastor Dan's message today reminds us that God keeps his promises to those he loves. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Genesis chapter 33 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Jacob here, he just he wisely avoids yoking himself with Esau. He knows that he's a profane man. He knows he's ungodly. And so he's, I, I'm, you know, you go on ahead. Proverbs 1.10 says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Do not consent. Jacob doesn't consent to Esau's invitation. He makes some excuses to get out of going with Esau. Esau in the scriptures is always a a picture of the flesh. He's a person who's governed by their flesh. And the Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Jacob's making no provision for the flesh here. Now, as far as we know from the scriptures, Jacob never visits Esau and Seir. And the only other time Jacob and Esau see each other is at their father's funeral. In chapter 35. So they just go their separate ways here. They have this encounter. Remember, Jacob seeks out reconciliation with Esau. He's the one who sent messengers to Esau to seek out a meeting with him so they can be reconciled. But then they go their separate ways. And, you know, and sometimes I think people struggle with this. If I forgive someone, do I have to be friends with them? Well, you can forgive someone and not trust them still. That's okay. You can be reconciled, but also recognize that this person is not a healthy person to have in my life, and I need to have some boundaries in my life, and I don't want to let them too far in because it, you know, they're still the same person. I'm just forgiving them and being reconciled. So I can forgive, but not trust them and not get entangled with them again. So they go their separate ways. Esau heads south, way south, down to Seir and Edom. 
Jacob begins traveling westward toward the land of Canaan. But look at what happens in verse 17. Jacob journeyed to Sukkot. He built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkot, which means booths. Sukkot, listen, listen, it's not in the promised land. It's not in the promised land. You know, the Bible assumes you know geography, the geography of the Bible. It's not in the promised land. He's outside the promised land. This is crazy to me. Jacob makes this long journey from Haran after being gone for 20 years, and he's making this long journey all the way back to go home to Canaan. And he stops just short of the promised land. And he settles outside the promised land. God told Jacob to return to the land of your fathers and to your family, to the land of Canaan. And he gets almost there. You know, he gets like the one yard line. And decides to just stay in Sukkot, right on the edge of Canaan. And notice in verse 17, he built a house there. And he made booths for his livestock. He built barns. And so apparently he settled there for a long time. Doesn't tell us how long. Long enough to build a house and some barns. He's planning on staying for a long time. He's putting down some roots there outside of the promised land. That's not where he's supposed to be. Here's Jacob. Jacob was following God's will, walking in God's will. But now he just, at some point in that journey, just decides, you know what, I'm just going to stop doing this. I'm going to settle right here. I'm just going to build a house, build some barns, and I'm just going to stay here. You can walk faithfully with the Lord and then just suddenly settle for something that's not his will. I'm just going to, you know what, I'm just going to settle here. I'm not going to finish. I'm not going to keep going. I'm just going to I'm just going to settle it right here. And, you know, God will allow us to do that. God will allow us to settle outside of his will for us. And as long as we are living outside of God's will, we're missing what God has for us in his will. The promises were in Canaan. They're not in this town of Sukkot. He's missing out on God's plan for him. So he stays there, though. He stays there. In Sukkot for some time, long enough to build a house and barns. He settles down there for a period of time in his life. By the way, lost years, right? You know, these years where he's just outside of God's will, doing his own thing. But then at some point, he leaves and he finally goes into Canaan. So his stop in Sukkot delayed himself from entering into the promised land. And they're just it's just lost time. Lost time outside of the Lord's Well, man, we don't want to settle. We don't want to compromise in any way that delays us from walking in what God has for us. We don't want to settle and compromise in a way where we just are losing time. Because we're not in God's will. We don't want a suit coat in our lives. We don't want to delay our obedience to the Lord. And so finally, though, verse 18, then Jacob came, notice, safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, Hippipare. When he came from Padanaram and he pitched his tent before the city, or just on the outskirts of the city, because he's an outsider, he's not from that town, and so he would live on the outskirts of the city. So he's finally back 
in the land of Canaan. And he arrives in the land of Canaan safely, just as God promised him that he would bring him back to the land of Canaan safely. And God has been faithful to bring him. But notice he leaves behind a house in Sukkot. And when he enters into the land of Canaan, he moves back into a tent. Jacob would rather live in a tent in God's will than in a house outside of God's will. Right? I'd rather be in the Lord's will than outside of his will. No matter how good I have it outside of his will, I'd rather be in his will every time. And so, look what it says in verse 19. And this is wonderful. And he bought the parcel of land just outside of Shechem, where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohe Israel. This is his new name, Israel, that he received in chapter 32. Right. So he uses the new name for the first time here. But what's important for you to note is that Jacob buys this little plot of land on the outskirts of the city of Shechem. And this is significant because other than the cave of Machpelah that Abraham purchased to bury his wife Sarah, a tomb, this is the first parcel of land that Israel owns in the promised land. This little property in Shechem. You know, God has promised to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants all of the land. But this is where it begins, really. There's the cave at Machpelah, but you can't live in a cave. But here, it's the first piece of the promised land owned by the Israelites. And because it's the first parcel of the promised land that they owned, it becomes important in Israel's history. You keep seeing Shechem come up throughout their history, both Old Testament and New Testament. Jacob will dig a well on his property there in Shechem. And in the Gospel of John, we have a very wonderful conversation that takes place between Jesus and a woman at that well. And I want to look at that as we finish up today. So if you want to turn over to John chapter 4. Now, on our last trip to Israel, we went to Shechem. And we went to the city of Shechem. We went to Jacob's well there. Very few of any tourists go to Shechem anymore. Even though it's very significant in Israel's history. This is their first piece of property that they own. No one really goes there anymore. But we went there. Our group went there. (laughs) It seemed kind of dangerous being there. It seemed a little unsafe. It was a little unsettling maybe, but... But we had the whole place to ourselves. It was so dangerous, no other tourists would go there, but we went there. <laughs> John chapter 4. It says in verse 1, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did, he left Judea. He's down in Jerusalem. He leaves Judea and departed again to Galilee, which is in the north. And he needed to go through Samaria. Now, sometimes in commentaries or in sermons, maybe even some footnotes in your Bible, you may hear 
that the Jewish people typically never traveled through Samaria because they disliked the Samaritans so much. And they say that, so they would go around Samaria and they'd cross the Jordan River and go up and around and then cross back over the Jordan River and they would bypass Samaria. Has anybody ever heard that kind of thing before? That's not true at all. They would go through Samaria. There's other passages in the Gospels where Jesus is going through Samaria. There's other extra biblical records that we have of the Jews traveling through Samaria to and from Jerusalem. So this isn't something out of the ordinary for Jesus to go through Samaria. And he came to a city of Samaria, verse 5, which is called Sukkar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. That's the plot of ground we're talking about back in Genesis chapter 33. Joseph today is buried on that plot of ground. We'll return to today's edition of Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton in a moment. But first, Pastor Dan would like to extend a special invitation to our listeners. If you've enjoyed the messages on Ring of Truth, I'd like to personally invite you to join us this Sunday at Calvary Chapel. We're located in Columbia, Maryland, just five minutes from Routes 29, 95, and 100. I'd love for you to come be part of our time of worship and Bible study this weekend at 9 or 11 a.m., I always enjoy meeting listeners of Ring of Truth, so please be sure to introduce yourself to me after church. To find out more information and to get directions, visit our website at calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. That website again is calvaryec.com. We look forward to seeing you. Now, back to today's message. When the children of Israel come back, when they come out of Egypt in the Exodus story, they bring the bones of Joseph with them from Egypt and they bury Joseph in Shechem on the plot of ground that Jacob had purchased back in Genesis 33. Verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. Jacob's well is still there to this day. Jesus, therefore, being wearied, so we see his humanity here, being wearied from his journey sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It's the middle of the day. It's noon. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Now, this well is on the outskirts of town. Remember, he pitches his tent back in chapter 33 on the outskirts of Shechem. He buys that piece of land. He digs a well. So this well is outside of the town. So this Samaritan woman came out to draw water And it's the middle of the day. Typically, women would draw water together in groups, and they would do it in the morning at the beginning of the day. Certainly not the sixth hour of the day, which is the hottest part of the day. But this woman, she's coming out by herself in the middle of the day. She's trying to avoid people. She doesn't want to see anybody else at the well. So she comes out to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There was ethnic hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. But I want you to note here that Jesus doesn't engage in the ethnic division in in his culture at all. And he talks to this woman about God. That's what he's about. Verse 10 Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, 
You have nothing to draw with. She doesn't understand what he's talking about. And the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? She says the well is deep. The well today is 120 feet, 120 feet deep. And there's still water in it. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, sir, Give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, well, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband and that you spoke truly. She's living with a guy. You know, Jesus has a way of confronting us about our sin, right? That is gentle, you know. He has a way of cutting us where we don't bleed out on the table kind of thing. And so he, he confronts her here. And I love her answer in verse 19. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. But notice what she does in verse 20. She changes the subject. She defers. Isn't that, what, isn't that how people deal with it, right? When you touch on something with them that's a little too close for comfort and they change the subject on you. And she changes it to some like theological question that in her mind can't be answered, right? To just kind of shut down the conversation at this point. Well, our fathers worshipped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. So he tells them, you know, the Samaritans had Mount Gerizim there where they worshiped God. They had their own temple there. They had their own version of the Bible that they had changed and altered that they were using. And she said, well, hey, we worship here. You guys worship in Jerusalem. Who knows who's right? Let's just talk about something else. And he basically says in verse 22, salvation is of the Jews. We're right. You guys, the Samaritans have got it wrong. We've got it right. It's okay to tell people when they've got it wrong about salvation or the Lord to say, no, that, that's really not what it, the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, well, I know that Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Right. Well, when Jesus comes, he'll sort it all out. Again, he, she's just trying to shut this conversation. Well, when the Messiah comes. He'll tell us all things. Now look at verse 26. This is the key verse here. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, note this. This is the first time in the Gospel of John that Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah. And where does he do it? At Shechem. The first piece of property that the Israelites owned in the promised land. 
That's the first place he declares he's the Messiah. And he doesn't declare he's the Messiah to a religious leader. You know, in the previous chapter, John chapter 3, he has that famous conversation with Nicodemus. He doesn't tell Nicodemus he's the Messiah. And Nicodemus is the teacher of Israel. He's the great theologian of Israel. But he doesn't say to Nicodemus that he's the Messiah. He says to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. With this woman, this immoral woman, this like outcast of society in Samaria, he reveals to her a Samaritan woman who's living with a man in sin. That he's the Messiah. To her at Shechem. The first piece of property that they owned in the land of Israel. And then just skip down to verse 28. The woman then left her water pot. Remember, she came to get water. She leaves her water pot there at the well because her mind is blown by this conversation with Jesus. She went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? She's an immoral woman living in a small town. She's been with a lot of men in that town. She goes into the town and it says specifically in verse 28, she says to the men of the town, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. To which the men of the town said, all things? Like the things that we did? Could this be the Messiah? So look what happens. Then they went out of the city and came to him. Now the disciples come back. And they're talking to Jesus and Jesus tells them in verse 35, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. Samaritan men, their traditional clothing was all white. Even today when they have Religious ceremonies in Samaria, the men wear all white. And so now the men of the city are coming out dressed in all white. And Jesus says to his disciples, lift up your eyes. Look. At the fields, for they are already white for harvest. He came to harvest souls, right? He came to save people. And all of this takes place at Shechem. This little piece of property that Jacob purchases back In Genesis chapter 33, when he finally comes into the promised land and settles there at Shechem and he buys this little piece of land, the the first little foothold that the Israelites gain in the promised land. You know, it's kind of like this little down payment of more to come. God's going to give them all of it. And he has this little piece of land and then it's there in the New Testament that Jesus first reveals himself as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Lord, we thank you for this chapter today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this book, Lord. And Lord, I I pray for us that are husbands, Lord, that you would help us to be godly leaders in our home, to take that responsibility, to step into that role, Lord. I pray that we would always walk in what you have for us, Lord, that we would never settle short of where you want us to be, Lord. But that we would walk in your will, Lord. That we would want to be and desire to be in 
Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. You've been listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Pastor Dan has been teaching through the book of Genesis. Although some might view Genesis simply as a historical account of genealogies, the undercurrent throughout this book entails a broader understanding of God's nature toward His people. You're introduced to God's care and concern for His creation, how sin stained what God had created, and what God intended to do to atone for the sin that overshadowed the world altogether. God's plan included a Savior that would envelop His creation in love and sacrifice that might seem incomprehensible to the average person. But God's ways are higher than anything that we as humans can understand. Yet He chose to come to our level anyway. That's a Creator God who's invested for the long haul. If anything about today's message has struck a chord with you, we'd like to talk with you. Please give us a call at 410-491-4592. That number again is 410-491-4592. You can also send us an email through our website, calvaryec.com. If you're not connected yet with a local church, we highly encourage you to find a church home that will help guide and support you in your growing faith. Thanks so much for joining us today. Pastor Dan will have more to share from the book of Genesis next time, right here on Ring of Truth. And I recognize the hands that craft and am well, I know because I know his voice And it only takes willingness and a conscious choice You need not guess there's a ring of truth that is unmistakable And knowing that you cannot find alone And if you listen carefully and sometimes even if you General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.